Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation time for driven radio show hey car lovers welcome to driven radio your weekly automotive happy hour i am brett hatfield yes i am yes you are mm-hmm. here with our engineer and co-host mr mark groves Y'all. and mr Corey pratt of craving cars on youtube that's me that is you we are coming to you from driven radio studios in beautiful overland park kansas god thank god i warmed up a little bit today yesterday was miserable it was cold you'd think it was winter or something it, it was way cold I've, i i no matter how many years you are in the midwest it's no, still it just, unsettling on how quick temperature can change here and go from wow it's so nice we got short sleeves to bundle up baby well it's one of the few places in the world where you can start out in the morning with the heater on the parka and by one o'clock in the afternoon you got the ac on you're down to shorts and t-shirt dude when and, we, <laughs> and then in the evening again you're looking for your damn parka when we moved up here from texas uh, rude, it was it rude. was it was the meanest, most vicious wind <laughs> I'd ever encountered because it it found every crevice yeah, that you've got right you. and just went right up there. And <laughs> I, I hated it that first year. I got well, kind of used to it. But well, damn. here's a weird thing: yeah. we're recording, and this is December eighth, and uh, today was kind of nice. It was low fifties. Yesterday was in the thirties. Day before that, oh, yeah. uh, I saw Frosty the Snowman outside looking for a cover. <laughs> and tomorrow it's going to be in the 60s and then was it friday's going to be 74 i know i know and my bike's Whatever buried under my it. son's oh, crap yeah, well they, they everybody <laughs> can keep talking about global warming all they want this is just kansas jack <laughs> this is just yeah. this is you know poor passive aggressive manic depressive it, kansas it, yeah just <laughs> there you go it, it, enjoy the roller coaster this is what it's like this is why in, in this state you don't put away your summer clothes until about <laughs> January. Shorts are good most of the year out. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I remember a few years ago being at a, a buddy of mine's uh, daughter's wedding, and it snowed on May the 4th. Yeah. And that was not that long ago. No. And I remember I'm in the car with the heated seat on and wipers going, thinking, this is stupid. <laughs> you're right Some, yes not wrong there's a reason they call mother nature mother yeah. <laughs> anyway coming to you from driven radio studios in beautiful overland park kansas you can find us online at drivenradioshow.com and readthedriven.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at driven radio show and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard If you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to tell your gearhead friends. If there's something else you would like like to hear more of or you have an interesting story, by all means, tell us. Send your emails to brett at drivenradioshow.com. All right, guys. Uh, what'd you do in cars this week? I know I tried to drag both of you downtown kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, I took a long drive back down, you know, still settling up some stuff with mom's oh, estate. Oh, good grief, really? Which, uh, it, went, it went nicely. It all went really good. Funny thing, car-wise, the only thing that looks like it's going to be uh, trouble is the car. 
<laughs> I of saw all the, the things. I saw the ad you posted for that car. <laughs> you don't write car ads, young man. <laughs> no, I wrote a story. Yours was. I in, wrote a love it, sonnet that it was. Me. It was entertaining and not very informative. <laughs> it had all the necessary things and pictures. It, said, it had pictures. It said it had a car. I told the miles. I said it worked. It, it, it ran ish. It can work in. Yeah, and you know that there's a couple of scrapes here and there, but it's the all four tires good. So, the uh, steering wheel? You know, <laughs> surprisingly, for it's a 96. Uh, it is a 95. 95. That car's in really, really good shape considering it's uh, 26 years 20, 26 years old. Yeah, 26. Yep, less than 65,000 miles on it. That's It's and, in really great yeah. shape. It needs a car wash. Oh, uh, yeah, that was actually washed. <laughs> it needs, oh, oh, it needs it, another car wash? <laughs> well, it needs a car wash with a vacuum in it. Yeah, detailing. Uh, it needs a detail, and it probably needs an oil change, and that's about it. It looked pretty darn decent otherwise. I think I might be able to buff that little uh, love tap oh. or love kiss on the passenger side out of it. Oh, yeah, the uh, I haven't even played with any of that. That little <laughs> bit of a yellow pinstriping uh, that custom. mom did, yeah. You know, and it's a MoDOT yellow, so <laughs> there's no telling what she kissed. Whoops. <laughs> Oops. Oh, boy. Whoops. But uh, I drove the truck down there and uh, found out that the truck is, you know, still leaking uh, a little bit of coolant, mm. uh, which I discovered today what the issue Crap. actually seems to be. So uh, congratulations, Branson. You screwed me out of 2000 more but uh <laughs> not for long and shoji Tabuchi, so so sorry that i won't be coming to see you uh anymore no so no. sad oh that's so a shame <laughs> <laughs> your bike's buried we can fix that yeah my, yeah i'm well i'm it's starting that, that very gentle push love my son dearly he's a hard-working young man he's a plumber and a good kid, but uh, you know you're back at home, and suddenly it's like oh, time to relax. It's like no, no, you're you have filled my garage with your shisa so I, that you can find a place to live. Find I, it. I I, I love th- you. Find I think it. you're a garage sale away from having unfettered bike access. <laughs> That's not. Yeah, hell, it's going to be warm enough. Hey, so, yeah. it's just a thought. Yeah. It's just a thought. Just saying, son. So uh, that that's all I've had for vehicles. All righty. How about you, Mister Corey? Well, I mean, spent a little bit of time, spent. Uh, the morning of at, over at Meekum on last Saturday. So yeah, got the got to look at a little bit of stuff. I, normally, I would have hung out there a lot longer. Pretty much been there all day, but I had things I had to do and a rear end to put into a Jeep. Corey and I almost so. spent enough time in uh, at Bartle Hall to give each other a high five. <laughs> we so kind of I was missed the back each door other. and he was walking in the front door. Kind of missed each other coming and going. The Jeep, a new rear end or another rear end in it. Uh huh. Is, is it going to be okay with it this is time? Is this number two or number three? Uh, ultimately, <laughs> number four, but we won't talk about the first time. No, well, when that one went out, I, I recently got Did another factory replacement. Did you say that was number four? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, had the, had the factory day 35. That went out a long time ago. I finally got around to getting another one. That lasted 12 miles. Ah. Uh. <laughs> But it was the longest not, burnout in history. Let's not get in. Well, when it went out, it was 60 miles an hour on the highway. Oh, Jesus. When whatever broke threw up into the gears and locked at the rear end going down the road. Well, that's exciting. So, but Corey's a masterful driver, so this absolutely. was no big deal. It was, it was a complete self-side control slide into the guardrail. <laughs> the Titanic no, full stop. I'm just kidding. I did not hit the guardrail. But I was like right next to it. I think my wife might have pooed a little bit. But... <laughs> 
she was very calm. I thought she was going to start screaming, but she did not. So I, I good job, thank you, honey. Nothing. You a, did a, great a, job. a pair of uh, O'Reilly's. Uh, Cheap seat covers. With <laughs> yeah, those blue rags come in Don't handy. Worry. Don't worry, baby. They was, those, Welcome those, to Those seats were scotch. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I, I got a hold of another one. Uh, this one's not a Dana 35, the factory. I upgraded to a Dana 44. Okay. So I uh, got that picked up at like Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it was. It's just last week. And uh, I was like, you never know when it might turn crappy. Mm-hmm. So we better get in at the very moment we had the chance to, and this last weekend was definitely that. Yeah. Um, so we got it swapped out, and I went through this in a little more thorough to kind of look at the actual rear end uh-huh. to see how it was and, you know, make sure fluids were okay, were good, and, and filled up properly and all that stuff. And uh, it's it's in. It's rolling. It's working. Got 12 yeah. miles on it yet? <laughs> Two? Uh, uh, two at two 20. Miles. <laughs> so you got at least 10 more to go, maybe? Yeah, you got 10 to go, partner, for you. And so, uh, was there any uh, I, grease I was, or oil or anything in the in the last one? Sand. It, 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 Did they forget to um, maybe gravel. fill it? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's possible that someone thought, well, they put an extra quart that was supposed to go in there that didn't go in there. It only holds a quart and a half anyways. Ooh. That's so it's so, very possible that I built up a little too much heat because I was more excited that it was done and not finished and then went for that little joy ride. And it so it might have had a little nut. It enough. might have been a little bit of a Corey problem. A little That's bit. why it broke. Yeah. Okay. Not because the rear end per se mm-hmm. was broke. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, it was broke now. Maybe. However, I, <laughs> I took the extra little speaking of effort this time. Good man. S- speaking of broken SUVs. Um, oh. Uh-oh. My uh, was the Lincoln stinking? Yeah, my fossilized Lincoln <laughs> outside. Uh, I did, it is parked outside. That was unusual. It, well, that's because it's, it's, sit, it's it. sitting behind my '65 Corvette that's inside. Oh, good point. Uh huh. Haven't taken that back to the warehouse yet because we keep having these 60 and 70 degree days. Uh, <laughs> that that has just been the best truck. It has gone. It it was owned by a friend of my dad's first, and then my dad, then me, then my daughter, then me. Uh, it, you know, it's made the rounds through the family. I'm surprised Jaden doesn't own it yet. It has almost 300,000 miles on it. Wow. And it still looks pretty fair. You know, no thanks to the gal from South Dakota who clipped both ends of it last year. Anyway, that's got an air ride suspension in it. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the fittings, or one of, the, or I, I think it may have been the compressor itself, gave up. And about a week ago, it just started squatting like a dog doing its business and had to pedal <laughs> that ass. one down to fine Ossipic Automotive. Daryl, I'm giving you a plug, buddy, uh, and get that repaired. Spent th- Thursday, Friday, spent three days at Meekum uh, reviewing 35 cars and going through the auction. Got to talk to David Morton for a while. Got to scare the hell out of John Craman for just a half second because I walked up <laughs> behind him while he was looking in a Corvette and said, hey, get what are you doing to that car he told me a story and i almost jumped when he's when he went to that i was like oh, well, I'm, I'm on mic now i did it a lot louder yeah, i just yeah, don't want to blow no, anybody's no doubt my head yeah I just don't want to blow anybody's ear, ear <laughs> no microphone clip in here don't want to blow your ears so he out. unfolded out of whatever vehicle he was yeah in. well <laughs> he was ducking into a uh, marlboro maroon mid-year corvette coupe 
<laughs> and I, I, I walked up behind him. I was only a couple of feet behind him, and I hollered at him. And he did jump. <laughs> so, but laterally. <laughs> so, 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 John, sorry, but it was funny. Uh, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. You know that that navigator before it goes out, you're going to go out one day. It's just going to be gone, not because someone stole it, because it turned to dust and blew away. Well, the sad, <laughs> the, the sad thing is, is for the last two years, whatever the fitting was or what was going to go out in the compressor has been making very, very slow progress. And the last couple of years, when you shut the truck off, it would go. <laughs> and Rhonda and I started calling like an old man. <laughs> Rhonda and I started calling it the sad kazoo because that's what it sounded like. And now we got it fixed, and it doesn't sad kazoo anymore. And I'm kind of sad about that because it made me laugh so hard. I can't tell you how many Lincoln Town cars in the oh. '90s that turned into lowriders. Yeah, because the, the effort gave of out the out owner. It. Yeah, just. Wow! Well, oh, look at you. That the truck isn't worth all that much money. The running joke with Rhonda and I is: is if you. Fill it with cash, you greatly increase the value of the vehicle. <laughs> well, see, now people pay a lot of money to, to, to drag their cars on the ground. Yeah, oh, that, it's that whole, whatever that stupid truck thing. I'm not doing that. I'm sure it looked like I was doing oh, that. that would be awesome. Just uh, weld on some metal plates on the bottom, and then you can just drop it and skid and throw sparks. sparks. And Ooh. You yeah. bite your forked tongue, Nave. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What the hell's wrong the with hell? you? The <laughs> hell? Anyway, I uh, got that fixed. While we were at the auction Saturday, I got my dad and Daryl Ossipik and uh, B. Mitchell, and we all went together. And, you know, Dad and I both have the Harley edition pickups that are black and silver. There was mm-hmm. one there that had 991 miles on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It was right out of the wrapper new. And I just, I, I just was on my dad. Hey, hey, hey! You gonna bid on this right now? I'm trying to encourage him to do so, and that thing got out of sight in a hurry. And Dad chased it for a little bit, but finally yeah. said, "You know, we got two of these, <laughs> <laughs> but we need a gooder one. <laughs> if you just get off your dead ass and clean them up, kid, we'd be all right." Should've, nice. You should have took yours up there and exchanged the wheels. That's fun. I think I thought about it because there's no pitting on that new one. Nice of you to throw your dad up there to take the uh, bidding bullets. Come on, Dad. Come on. You know you wanted that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, old Jim had a lot better year than I did. <laughs> I was. I really wanted that for him. Plus, uh, when he got his new truck, he got one a few years ago that uh, had six thousand miles on it. When he got it, it's got like forty thousand miles on it now. Yeah. Uh, but he gave me. The old one, which was very generous of him, but the old one has a sliding sunroof and a sliding back window in it, and his new one does not. And anytime you want to carry anything, well, you're just kind of out, or he comes and borrows mine. Now, I don't drive mine a hell of a lot. That's fine. If you want to use it, I got no problem with it. Go right ahead. I get it. But I really wanted him to have the sliding back window again because he's always working on something. He all stuff around all the time. So anyway. Doesn't he need one down in, what, Arizona? Stop encouraging him to have, pair. you know, he's got a That's pair it. of Mercedes. And, <laughs> he needs a pair of the trucks again yeah. one each location. Why well, you put your white tennis shoes right through that window so you can get real comfortable? Uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> it was cool. We had a lot of fun. There was a lot of cool stuff down at Meekum. There's always, there was a ton of Corvettes, so, of course, I was in heaven. Uh, and it was a really good time. Big thanks go out to David Morton for helping us with everything that he helped us with. Uh, Dave's a stud always. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a repeat offender on the show tonight. Oh, that'll be fun. Uh, 
real quickly this week in the news, Tesla Model S can't go 200 miles an hour, but car and driver says you wouldn't want to be in the sucker if it could anyway. Uh, From Goodwood Road and Racing, Hennessy, the Hennessy people, the madman tuners down in Texas, they are going to build a six-wheel drive EV hypercar. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ford says they finally have the fix-in for all of the Bronco hardtops. Remember that story? That's... Mm-hmm. That one, that yep, one's yep. got a little hair on it. Uh, Kyle Smith from Haggerty, uh, our motorcycle maven friend, is going to be back. Remember back in February, we talked to Kyle. He was saying he was going to do six different races this year, all on the same motorcycle. And it wasn't six of the same kind of race. It was six different kinds yes. of races. Yes, I remember this. He was going to do uh, a road race and, a, and uh, you know, do not, some, a, not a new bike either. It was no, like no, 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 no. It was a craptastic Honda 250. I think <laughs> I think it's probably in a lot better shape now than it started the year out because Kyle's had to do so much work on it. Anyway, he's going to yeah. be here to tell us about all the different kinds of races he ran and what he learned from it and uh, how he emptied his bank account doing it and <laughs> <laughs> all that good stuff. Uh, got plenty of plenty, plenty to cover in the news, so let's get to it. And from the free source of Car and Driver. The one I didn't have to pay for. (laughs) Tesla's Model S can't go 200 miles per hour, and you wouldn't want to even if you could. Oh, you can't hit ludicrous speed. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I've never been... I've never done 200 miles an hour in anything on the ground, and I'm pretty damn sure I don't want to. I don't know that it's on my bucket list by any means, but if I knew of a car that was stable enough... There's just so much then you can that go would be a wrong. different story. But uh, yeah, it had to be the right absolute, you know, setup. But you know, anyway, whatever. yeah. Among many claims, uh, Tesla has made for the 1,020 horsepower Model S Plaid is that it is capable of 200 miles per hour. Those things crank out over a thousand horsepower. They do Isn't indeed. That crazy. And they just sell them to the general you know, public. And a lot of people go, well, look at these. These, these plaids are they're like the fastest car in production. And all those. Well, a lot of cars that are 1,000-plus horsepower are going to be blindly fast. Well, so what do you expect it to be Here's slow? the other thing, and we need to make this qualification three and a half years into the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a difference between quick and fast. Mm-hmm. Quick is a sub-three-second zero to 60, and that is quick. Yeah, it is. Fast is over 200 miles an hour. So let's make the distinction. Of course, I agree with you. Stupid Tesla is still fast. Well, I had someone say, wow, this is even faster than a 911 Turbo. I'm like, you mean the 650 horsepower car is slower than the 1,020 horsepower car? No. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh (laughs) 1.98 seconds, 0 to 60, that Tesla Plaid. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's fairly quick. That's faster than sport bikes, man. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. God, I well, gotta grant him that. Two hundred miles per hour is 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 a rarefied velocity for any car, especially yeah. for an EV, yeah. as they tend to be limited Agreed. by the maximum rotational speed of their electric motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's particularly true uh, of EVs that use a single speed reduction ratio, as Tesla do. Yeah, um, but the company has a fix for getting its motor to spin faster. Carbon sleeved motors that enable rotational speeds up to a claimed twenty thousand RPM. I don't think or about twenty five percent faster than than it did before. Wow! Uh, but while test but while testing the Tesla Model S Plaid, 
it tied the Bugatti Chiron Sport for the quickest quarter mile time nope. for Car and Driver <laughs> magazine has ever recorded. It topped out uh, at a governor 162 miles an hour. Which you know, I say that too. It's like in that case, give me enough runway. My my Porsche is faster than a Tesla Model S Plaid because I can do over 170. They have those <laughs> dumbass X-wing fighter steering wheel looking things. Yeah, on. I'm not really you know. You seen them? Makes me think uh, of Night Rider. It's not a wheel. It's a Night Rider. Yeah. Well, if you just if you were really going to be a, badass a, about it, you just have a single stick. It, it needs a red light. <laughs> it needs a red light in the front of the car that goes. <laughs> You're either kid or a Cylon Raider. If your great grandpa could take out have a bad Germany with it, by God, you can drive with that single stick. We'll get this though. They talk about how the Plaid is is unsettling at 162 miles per hour. Oh. I bet. So why would you even attempt to come close to 200? If it's not feeling very good at 162. And there's another thought that goes along with this. Think of most Tesla owners. Not exactly who you picture when you think high-performance driver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, Just a yeah, thought. Yeah. Well, they talk about it. It wanders kind of in the lane, lots of slop uh, in the center of the steering, which it's kind of wicked, stupid steering. It's not even a wheel. It's a steering mechanism. At, it's it's a buck sixty, and it doesn't have lane discipline. Yeah, yeah. Screw oh, that. Yeah, that, but no. But check this out. Every other car, though, in that same type of conversation yeah. with it, the the Porsche Taycan, the Bugatti Chiron, it's they're it's st- locked in at that lane at 150 plus miles an hour. Oh yeah, they're designed to do it. Uh, you're asking so, to be a splad. So they're <laughs> they're talking about making these faster. I guess it's just. They're saying that they're coming up the way that it can make it. They can do it. I bet it's because of the brakes. I'm thinking, don't they have like some type of packagey thingy that they're going to do with the brakes? Well, to- I think they've got regenerative braking, but you don't want to be counting on that if you're doing a buck sixty or better. <laughs> that that's part of it too. They're talking about if it if it can go that much more faster, it's it's starting to overtax the brakes. So even with the standard braking test, five consecutive stops from seventy miles per hour and three from 100 miles per hour with more space between the plaid's brake hard was already starting to to fade oof screw so that. imagine now stopping so i can't from stand the lane and i can't stop <laughs> well they're very heavy vehicles to begin with and they're you know like you said they're a quick car yeah but they're not designed to be a fast car they just need to call it the Tesla Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets to the point where messages will pop up on the dash notifying of their – God, I can't speak You right are Immediate demise. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, Dave, do you want to die? So are yeah. they, they going to do See anything later, about the brakes if they're going to make the car faster? Well, now Tesla now says that a $20,000 $20, carbon ceramic brake package is in the works for the Model S Plaid. Now, they don't talk about any of the other versions, but the what? Plaid only. Pricey upgrade. What? Substantially larger rotors, front and rear. So it's not just a front brake thing, but waiting for a significant brake upgrade would be you know, a prudent step in making the Plaid able to That's actually more than go will faster than the 162. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I had a buddy ask me how many cars I got. I had to stop and count for a second. Now I'm counting how many cars I got I didn't pay $20,000 for. <laughs> My pickup, mm-hmm. the Navigator, mm-hmm. the GTO I paid $20,000 mm-hmm. for. Okay, good price. Uh, Jaden's $1,500 car that mm-hmm. I bought from. Yep. You could probably $20,000 brake upgrade? 
Screw that. <laughs> what, what do they think this is? Is a Lamborghini a Huracan Performante uh, or something? Actually, I don't even think it costs that much in that car. Uh, actually, it's probably standard. Now, the thing is, here's this, Brett and, and Mark here. I don't care if they have a carbon ceramic brake package you know, that goes, oh, cool, we, we can go break after break after break with no yeah. fade. It's awesome. Who cares? You drop 20 grand. That car doesn't run 1,020 horsepower at all times. No. You actually have to switch into plaid mode, which sure. it sits there and has to warm up the motor so it can actually handle the power. And you, it doesn't really give you a time. Uh, you could be sitting there for 10 minutes before the thing warms up in time for you. Are to you go. serious? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. also wondering how many pulls you get with that full power before it's time to go back home and plug, plug it into it in. the wall and eat a pizza. Well, regular Model <laughs> Model S Plaid, if you went down the, the, the quarter drag, do 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 a drag, okay, a quarter-mile drag run, you come back, you kind of get lined up again, you get ready. You can only do that about three times before you have to let the car sit there for at least 45 minutes to an hour. I'm sure. To let it cool down. Well, well that's you depressing. Know, it, look, it's impressive that the car can do what it does. And I've, I've even said this here. If I could find a Model S that was you know low mile enough and the price was right i'd drive one oh yeah almost all your driving's in town anyway mm-hmm. you, you know mm-hmm. most people don't jump on the highway and rack up huge miles every day there are some there are people who commute but you know it, i i think it'd be perfect i'm not so very opposed to the idea of an ev that i wouldn't drive one i just am tired of everybody preaching to me oh this is gonna save us all no it's not you won't let us have nuclear power plants to make power so it's either (laughs) run by natural gas or it's coal fired uh we've got some geothermal and some hydroelectric we also have solar and wind power and all this stuff combined but you can't just say okay no more fossil fuels tomorrow and we'll be fine no we won't no, we won't. Well, that, and it's pretty brutal on the planet for being able to mine all of the, uh, well, yeah, the uh, precious the, metals oh and, my all, God, and yeah. the lithium and everything. And there's a finite quantity of that, and a lot of it comes from countries you wouldn't want to deal with anyway. Those, those, so they came from uh, the cool dinosaurs, though, so, so it's okay. Yeah, there so, there so. are hurdles to be had. Sure. There, I'm sure that technology will catch up with it, and they will find other ways to make the batteries and make them last longer and all of this other stuff. I really, as long as I'm gracing this mortal coil, I'd like it if you kept making gasoline. I just got that 65 Corvette. It's the <laughs> most fun thing to drive in the world. Well, you know, we'll we'll make it at home. We'll make homebrew. So where's our high-performance uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars? I, Where I, are those at? I don't know. You know. Somebody's still watching Hindenburg movies, and they're scared to death of them. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I think that was helium, wasn't it? <laughs> Hey, yeah, it that, was that, hydrogen. That, that was a it gas. Was hydrogen? Yeah, it was just the little paint problem there. Oh, well, I take little, it all back. Little paint additive yeah, that happened to be don't jet buy, fuel, don't rocket buy the, fuel. Don't buy the hydrogen car that's painted with the silver flammable paint. <laughs> the, alumina, the aluminized paint. Anyway, yeah. uh, from Goodwood Road and Racing, we've got a story about Hennessy building a six-wheel drive, 2,400-horsepower EV oh hypercar. God. Have, have you looked at the pictures of this Those thing? drawings of that are awesome. I want one of these. This sucker it's looks ridiculous like... ridiculous, and I love it. It looks like it's going to sit a foot lower than a GT40. It I love how Hennessy does this. They, they do it because they can. Hennessy builds outlandish vehicles like 1,000-horsepower pickup trucks and twin-turbo Corvettes and Vipers and world record setting hyper cars but their next project will drag the company kicking and screaming into the electric age 
you know, whatever. As they're <laughs> as they're making what might be the craziest car of the decade, Deep Project Deep Space will be a six wheeled, all wheel drive, all electric, four seater hyper grand tourer, and each of the six <laughs> wheels will be getting a four hundred horsepower motor <laughs> for a grand total output of right around twenty four hundred horse. The company claims the car will be able to set zero to 200 mile per hour records when released and probably stay in its own lane. <laughs> when teaser drawing, <laughs> the teaser drawings show a car that's around 20 feet long and it's shaped mm. like a teardrop. Oh, yeah. Uh, allowing yeah. for the largest in industry battery with spectacular driving range capability. The six wheels won't be the only unique feature on the bizarre futuristic sci-fi supercar. It will be an unconventional four-seater with a diamond seating layout. Now, for those of you who are trying to picture it, imagine McLaren F1 with the driver in the center of the car, and then just behind him, second row, kind of to the outboard on either side, two passenger seats, and then behind them, back in the center, a third passenger seat. Yeah, so is three it, passengers, one driver, uh, the fourth and first seats are tandem. Yeah. And then you've got the two making a little cross-section. Right well, there the, 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 the people who are in the second row and sitting side by side, they can get out easily. For the two tandem in the front <laughs> and back, I'm thinking, remember 74 Laguna, Chevy oh, Laguna, yeah. with the buckets over, that would baby. swivel. That's what I'm thinking. And, you know, if you could swivel them and then put them on a little track, so they push, I'm sure that doesn't meet with DOT. But. <laughs> well, I, I know how the McLaren F1 would sit, right? You know, you can sit right in there. You kind of sit behind them. And I know how what you'd have to do to get in the driver's seat because you got to kind of hop over seat yeah. to get in. How the hell are you going to get in the back? I don't know, but it's it, it's like the zinger thing that Pat and I went and saw when we were in Monterey. The step over to get into the seat was it's it's a couple feet, and that doesn't sound like much until you're ducking down low and trying to scoot your butt over. Yeah. And uh, I just see lots of uh, Wrangler jeans rivet drag marks going across the, the threshold trying to get in. Uh, the car will come with plenty of luggage space to cater to the four occupants. It is claimed to incorporate private jet levels of luxury. Yeah, how's that go with your uh, Wrangler machine yeah. rivets? Uh, <laughs> NFC plans to build 105 examples starting oh, wow. at 2.5 million pounds. So what's that? 3.7? times 2.5. A lot more money than the yeah. three of us have. Production <laughs> begins in 2026. Man, and it's just beautiful. It looks like one of the vehicles from Minority Report. It's stunning. You know? it's, it's stunning. Love I, the drawing. I one of the things is that I'm I'm having trouble with one <laughs> is I'm approaching middle age here if I'm not already solidly in it we're going to get the I'll be alive to see the weird transition I won't be alive to see the super cool crap that's out yeah. in 50 or 60 years <laughs> I'd really like to see it after we figured out all the bugs and everything and we've got to the super cool stuff this looks like the cusp of the super cool stuff yeah they're starting to see the potential yeah. now they can just get right to it yeah they are and 2400 horsepower oh my humana, sweet humana. Jesus I, I, want, <laughs> I want to see some specs on this I want to know how long I can't run my dryer at home while I got this sucker plugged in and it's 20 feet long man you're going to have to have a pretty sizable garage to yep. be able to fit it that's a fur piece but that, if, you, if yeah. you got 3.8 to be able to swing it I'm guessing you got a good garage that is a half a foot longer than the van 
the Sprinter van that I'm going to buy uh, that I, you can sit a lot more than four people in. I, I'm I'm not entirely sh- well. I am pretty darn sure. Twenty feet, I think, is two feet longer than the Impala. Well, I, mean, I, I did you mean those uh, '70s Cadillac Eldorados. They were 19 feet. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not too scared by the length because I'm the dude who likes all those mid '60s Chryslers, well, yeah. including the four door Imperials. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm like, you want some? Hey, at least that had two more doors than an Eldorado. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the all the cars you look you like look like you could land a fighter jet on the trunk. Yeah, ah, such glory. Mm-hmm. From AutoWeek.com, Ford says the fix is in for the Bronco hardtop problem. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Didn't we talk about this back in like March or April or something? Yeah, they were having a little boo-boo like with all of Wait. their hardtops. Hey, Chori, your hardtop just fell apart. And Ford says that all Bronco hardtop models at its Michigan plant have the replacement roofs, and these uh, models will begin shipping by the end of the year. Now, the existing company, uh, customers who have already taken delivery can work with their dealership to receive the hardtop roof replacement. Isn't that nice? Um, mm-hmm. Here's the great thing, though. Uh, maybe we did talk about it back in April, but people have only been receiving those cars, getting having them delivered, what, since September or October? It hasn't yeah. been that long. long. Yeah. It's only been a couple months. Ford says it's going to first replace the roofs of customer Broncos that have been delivered or built. So the the ones who've already paid for it, yay. Cool. And despite the issue, owners can continue to drive their Broncos, so you can still keep rolling. Those who have ordered a Bronco and have not yet received a build date will get a 2022 model uh, or have the ability to switch to a soft top model with a hard top prep kit free of charge. Ford spokesperson told Car and Driver magazine that affected customers who converted their reservation to an order by March 21st, 2021 are price protected until the 2023 model. Whatever. Yeah. No, no they're price protected from Ford. Oh, not from the dealership. Th- okay. That, that doesn't, <laughs> that's not going to stop the dealer from trying to pull your wallet out through your nose. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. sorry. Did I not mention the $40,000 prep fee? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the 2023 model year, regardless of what Ford uh, says, it just the Broncos MSRP Ford will provide estimated delivery windows starting in September. Well, that's good news for the people who've already taken their delivery yeah, of their yeah, Broncos. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully they don't have a ball joint. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's the right thing for Ford to do to stand yeah, behind their product and make sure it's fixed and made right. So yeah. bravo Ford on that. Our special guest this week is Kyle Smith, awesome. uh, repeat offender. You remember when we talked to Kyle uh, back, I think it was last February or so, about all this nut job motorcycle yeah. racing. Shenanigans that he was yeah. He's going to take one bike Crazy and go do stuff. six different kinds of races. Yeah. He did it. Oh, God. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> Kyle is an associate editor for Haggerty. He's the host of numerous educational videos on Haggerty's YouTube channel. Poster boy for Hold My Beer. <laughs> yeah. But most importantly, he is the purveyor of questionable motorcycles. He spent the last year racing six different kinds of motorcycle races, all on the same vintage Honda. And he'll be here to tell us about it. This and much more is coming up on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. 
Our special guest this week is a repeat offender. He's back again. It's Kyle Smith. Kyle is a McPherson College Restoration Program alumnus, a Corvair lover, buyer of questionable motorcycles. <laughs> he is an associate editor for Haggerty, the most the host of numerous educational videos on Haggerty's YouTube channel, and a repeat competitor in the great race. Kyle has also spent the last year torturing himself, competing in the Six Ways to Sunday Challenge, racing six different kinds of motorcycle races, all on the same decrepit Honda motorcycle. Kyle, welcome back to Driven Radio, pal. Thank you. Thank you all for uh, having me back. It's, it's exciting to be back for the third time. I had to think about it earlier. Uh, uh-huh. Hey, so how was your year? <laughs> It's been a wild ride, and it, and I pun intended, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and I uh, I see recently you've got a new to you motorcycle transport. I do yeah, I finally upgraded from the regular cab short bed pickup life, and uh, decided to go for a van after Heartland Park, Topeka, Kansas, the first event of the year. I thought I would do so well with this project of going six different forms of racing. It's going to go across the country uh in every aspect i was like oh yeah i'll be fine with the pickup truck and no it <laughs> that first event there in topeka was was proof that that was a horrible idea and there's a reason that anyone you know that plays with motorcycles or even cars and transports big time uh is a van person and i am a van person so, now so what'd you get uh, I, I bought a 2015 chevrolet express and it's the long boy the extended mm-hmm. 3500 so the one ton with the eight lug axles Holy six cow. liter with the 6L90, so the six-speed trans, heavy duty all the way through and through, and it's been a dream. Uh, put 10,000 miles on it since June. How many motorcycles can you cram in that? Uh, I can fit three, and there's still room for all my gear and for me to sleep. Oh, wait oh, a second. Hey, hey, start looking up fans. Oh, I did. <laughs> uh, now, does that one have any windows, or is it you know kind of all panel all the way to the back? Uh, a little of both. So it has the rear windows, but it does not have the side windows. No side windows. Oh, uh, so that is definitely a free puppy van. It's, that's it's a pretty good close. looking the, one. The rear windows aren't tinted, so you can still see inside. And that's, I tell oh, you, okay. it's not creepy because you can see inside. It'd be creepy if you couldn't see inside. There's all He's that free candy right back there. Yeah, Mark's Kyle's envisioning a, a creeper van with an eye bolt on the floor. Does, does it have some good yeah. rust around the wheel wells just to give it that fancy feel? You know, free motorcycle parts. Just <laughs> right there on the side. All righty. For, for those who, for the uninitiated, for those who didn't hear it last time, uh, what was the Six Ways to Sunday Challenge, and can you tell us about uh, a little about the races and where the idea came from? Yeah, so the long and short of it was inspired by On Any Sunday, and that's where kind of the Six Ways to Sunday comes from. And it was taking one motorcycle, this little Honda that you see behind me here, an XR250R, uh, 1989 model, and taking it six different forms of racing within a calendar year. And it all... I have to admit, we put a little caveat, a little asterisk on the end. We haven't gotten a cold winter yet, and so the ice is not ready uh, for riding. Most Nothing has really frozen over yet, so we're pushing a little bit. It's going to be until early February next year. Uh, it's going to be the last one we're going to ice racing. So it was vintage motocross, vintage cross-country, road racing, dirt track, and then trials, and then ice racing tagged on at the very end. Uh, ice racing just sounds scary. That doesn't, that doesn't even sound very intelligent. Yeah, with big honking <laughs> spikes. 
Kyle's probably sitting at home with a box of drywall screws, screwing those uh, things out through his tires. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, of all the events I had to learn a lot about, ice racing is the one that required. There's not. There's no carryover between no. Uh, a lot of these events okay. uh, in in how you're setting up the bike and how your riding style and how you're setting up mentally. So much change between each and every single one of them that, and ice racing is something I've never touched. Never really even dabbled in all of the others. I had at least done some research or played with, at least watched a lot of YouTube. It's <laughs> <laughs> worth something in doing this. Uh, but ice racing is just, I have no idea what I'm doing. And we're going to go out and we're going to have a great time. I've got a couple mentors that are helping me out. Can you wear two helmets? Uh, and, <laughs> We're going to see what happens. YouTube has become the digital ages oh, yeah. encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and now they disabled yeah. the dislike button, so you can't even see if you're getting bad information, at least before you can see if it was garbage. <laughs> now the button's still there. It just doesn't give you a count. <laughs> That's true. Which is a shame because you can't log in on your 14 different IDs and, you know, go on and... <laughs> I still artificially inflated my own show. I mean, I'm sure there was somebody that was doing the reverse for me, but you never know. I I appreciate you sending me the gift card for that. I I really do. (laughs) do. So what made you decide to go with an 89 XR250, Uh, which, by the way, I am a huge Honda dirt bike fan. They are absolutely out like iron. You can't kill them. Uh, They they seem to be virtually invincible, and I am a former XR250 owner. Now, now, see, you say that, but then this year has told me otherwise about the XR series. Oh, a lot about the bike. But I, I'm still a big fan, and this is a, a crime in two different ways. So the XR250, for one reason, it has the drum rear brake, so that yeah. qualifies me for a lot of vintage events uh, that a disc brake bike would not qualify for. That's kind of the dividing line in the sand. So as long as you still have the drum rear brake, you can qualify as vintage regardless of if it's really leaning into a modern year okay. of manufacture. So if you can't that, stop that real well, you bit. can get in on the race. Yeah, That's exactly. Like awesome. Uh, basically, they just don't want you to <laughs> screw the braking yeah. zone for everyone else Vintage or something. means no stopping. Yeah. <laughs> no stopping at all. Press hard. Uh, and then the other part was just I had the bike. Uh, okay. okay. It was something I picked up at a dollar per cc. Uh, which is just like, so think about go. what you can buy for $250 and then go, do I actually want to own that? And the answer is no. 250 <laughs> bucks. He goes, the answer's no. 250 bucks doesn't no. even get you out of the drunk tank anymore. No, it really doesn't. It's, it's bad news all the way around. But I saw it listed and I was like, I really like XRs. It'll be a winter project. Sure. We'll see if we can get it running. And uh, I got it running. It ran for like three and a half seconds and dropped an intake valve and just cratered the cylinder head, oh, the piston, and wow. the whole thing. So it was like this $250 bike. It's like, oh, I wonder if I can get it running to suddenly a, I think I spent maybe five or 600 bucks between machine work and parts to just throw a top end on it and not even look in the bottom end or at any other part of the bike. And so suddenly it was a $700 bike that ran that was still that question mark of like, do I actually want to own this? Did, <laughs> and then it blew up again. Oh. And it was sitting in the corner of the garage. Oh yeah, so we went through the whole process again. It dropped the same intake valve, wow. cratered the head, shattered the piston, the whole nine. And uh, I was sitting there staring at it, and I was like, what can I do with this thing? Trebuchet. And I watched on any Sunday, and I started reading a rule book after going to an ARMA race last year. And it was like, technically, I could do anything. I was like, what if I did everything? 
And that was kind of the idea. So I started calling people up. So I called uh, one of my friends and I was like, this sounds really dumb. He's like, yeah, that is really dumb. You should do it. Then I called the president of ARMA, uh, the race organization. So American Historic Racing Motorcycle Association. I said, hey, we got this idea. Like, how crazy is this? He's like, that's pretty stupid. You should do it. <laughs> Great. And they're uh, both so standing there drinking beer going, watch this. <laughs> yeah. And then I called up my manager, uh, Jack Bruce, here at Haggerty. And I was like, hey, uh, I got this really idea. And he's like, that is a really dumb idea. You should uh, do you it. You should do it. <laughs> and I was like, well, we're three for three. So here we go. We're, we're on for the ride now. So you've done five out of the six races. We're going to have you back after the ice racing one because I just I want to oh, know yeah. myself. Oh, tell me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the five sure. you've done, what surprised you about the races and what was much different than you imagined it would be before you started? Oh, gosh. I think the road racing was actually a little bit more than I expected. Having never truly road raced before going into that, uh, I kind of had an expectation of how things were going to go. And it completely was different than what I expected in the way that I thought I'd spend more time on the brakes. Honestly, really like I went to a couple small tracks and the XR was so underpowered. And the nice thing about the supermoto setup on these, when you're road racing them, it's a 17-inch wheel with a real sticky tire. You're running the same tire as big sport bikes, and I'm running the same front brake. So I have all the brakes, I have all the traction, and I have all the lean angle because of how high the thing is up off the ground. And none of the power. They, <laughs> and none of the power. So you're just kind of <laughs> slingshotting through everything. Uh, and if you That's can nice. let go of the brake and not crap your pants, and just go for it, the bike will probably do it. And so it was going out there and just scaring myself for 13, 14 minutes at a stretch uh, and coming back in and then looking at the lap times going, I went faster every lap. Wow. And just with each time I was coming in, you know. And so you go to a track like Blackhawk Farms over in South Beloit, Illinois. It's a great little track. And I think they listed as like an eight-turn track. Uh, the reality is there's like 19. They just link a bunch of them together in some goofy fashion. I don't know how they label it. It's comical. But uh, to go there and run, Arma runs a couple groups on the track at a time. And so Motard, uh, or Supermoto, was running in with the Sound of Thunder bikes, uh, the V-Twins. Oh. So your SV650s, and then so they were running SOT3 and SOT1. So the big twins, the big Buells, the 1199s, a couple Ducatis in there, and then me on this thing. Uh, Just trying to not be in the way. Uh, (laughs) The smallest little tuck that I could be, just the rolling chicane that suddenly it was, it went from a 19 turn course to a 20 turn course because you had to get around Kyle. (laughs) That's just what it was. It was great. I'm kind of curious, as light as that bike is, and you not having to touch the brakes ever and being able to just sling it into the corners. Were you able to keep up with anybody? Uh, I could run with them if I could get a draft uh, was the crazy thing. So if you ever watched any of the, like the Asia talent cup that Red Bull sponsors or uh, Moto three, especially any of the spec small displacement bikes, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see how much the draft plays into a lot of that racing. And most of the time, I couldn't keep up on any of the straights. They would just mile an hour me. 
and just ride away. Sure. Uh, there's a really fun video on my Instagram. If you scroll back a little ways, uh, I had a GoPro mounted on my uh, rear fender pointing backwards and I come out onto the front stretch and you hear the bike running for everything it's got clicking into sixth gear and just pulling and you look like I'm flying and then a bike comes out of nowhere past me. <laughs> Go on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking 40, 50 mile per hour speed differential. They're oh, going 120 on that stretch and I'm doing every bit of 80. <laughs> I So uh, as I was wide open it, throttle. It, yeah, if I could swing in behind them and get a draft onto the straight, even if they pulled away, uh, that would pull me in, you know, a second and a half, two seconds on a lap. Uh, if it was timed just right, that any time I was coming out of a corner and accelerating, uh, there was someone to pull wind for me. I was prepping, that made a huge difference. I was mm. prepping for this interview and watching videos on YouTube and kind of fell down the rabbit hole watching motorcycle oh, racing yeah. until I yeah. came across, it's, it's Japanese, oh, no. just a big circle. It's a big circle or a big oval. And it's little kids, like six or seven years old, and they're ra- racing on those pocket bikes. Oh, <laughs> on the little tiny, you know, the motorcycles that are about oh, a foot God. and a half tall. Those, but their little... their form is impeccable, though, isn't oh, it? It's it's fantastic. But you're watching it, and it's the most ridiculous looking <laughs> thing you've ever seen. It's like somebody took a bunch of uh, a bunch of GSXRs and Ninjas and stuff and put oh, them yeah. in the dryer. And it's yeah. just spectacular to watch because nobody's doing more than 40. Everybody, no. it's just, and it sounds like a little pack of angry bees going around yeah. and around this track. And it was so, it was so ridiculous. I watched it for like 20 minutes just going, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't look That's away. a lie and you know it. Well, no, no, I know you've no, seen no, the, 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 the weirder racing Don't came. Don't lie to me like that. Weirder racing came after that. It was two sport bikes, two super, super moto bikes. And one guy riding a V-twin, or not a V-twin, it's a twin cylinder, but it was a parallel twin. You could tell by the way the exhaust came out of the front of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he had Z-bars on it, but one side start, the inside side started high and the outside side was low. And this guy was running this weird twin cylinder, like uh, it, it almost looked like a Honda or a Harley flat track bike, but it was a parallel twin. And... Oh, he eventually outran them all. Hmm. And it was. I mean, there's so much of it that's the rider, yeah. not the bike. But it was this so really times. strange Ola Japanese racing kind of mixed class stuff, and they're all going around this yeah. big oval. And it wasn't that big. The oval's maybe a mile. And they're yeah. just hauling. And eventually the guy on uh, it's it's it looked like a Harley flat track bike with weird handlebars and a parallel twin. And he walked off. Oh, wow. Sheesh. So I'll tell you the, the only thing weirder than watching those little kids on little bikes run around a go-kart track. Cause that's usually yeah, yeah, yeah. more, more often than not, it's, you know, some shifter cart track that has a decent size straightaway. And they're really and it looks good. Like a, oh, they're really good. The only thing funnier and more fun than that is grown adults on kids' bikes on the same go kart track? Because <laughs> that was that was how I prepped for my road racing. I bought an XR100, so the scaled down little brother of this 250, yeah, and went in my full leathers, 
all the same gear that I ride on the big track, trying to do a hundred miles an hour down the back straight of Gingerman. And I went to East Lansing go-kart track in middle of nowhere, Michigan, and was ripping fifth gear wide open at 38 miles an hour with knee down all the same form. And you learn so much. And the fascinating thing about it is on those go-kart tracks, everything happens so much faster yeah, than when you go to the big tracks. Cause it's so compressed. Yeah, there's no time to hang around or, you know, you just, but even at Blackhawk Farms, which is a very small track relatively, on the front stretch, I was barely catching my breath. I'd have it wide open and it'd be four, five seconds tops on that stretch. Coming out of the corner, get the bike upright, and I'm in my full tuck, get to relax, take a breath, prep for the lap that's coming up. On that go-kart track, there is no time. You are thinking about <laughs> the next three corners because you're going to hit them all in about the same amount of time. You're skipping right through it. And it prepared me to go, and suddenly the big tracks felt slow, despite the fact that I was hauling ass. I mean, relatively, the speedometer I, was significantly higher, but it was all slowed down because there was so much time in between stuff. It was, it was really fun. No, on, uh, really a riot. On the 100, I picture you having to move around. You're wearing out the seat cover on the bike. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're doing the exact same movements, same body positioning. It reinforces all your good habits, and it highlights all your bad habits, Oh, uh, which is the most fun because you can go there and you can make mistakes. And obviously, no one wants to crash. I don't want to say that. No. But at the same time, I went out on the go-kart track and was learning about tire pressures. And so experimenting and moving some things around and figuring out if I do this, then that happens. And all of it transfers over to the big bikes. So you learn it on the little bike, you transfer it to the big bike and could go there and drop two PSI out of a tire crash and slide across a go-kart track at 12 miles an hour in the left-hand <laughs> corner and be fine. And the bike just, you stand it up, you kick it a few times, you go back out and no one really cares. It's, it's not nearly as risky as turn one at Blackhawk Farms where I'm, fourth gear flat pickup right into it you know that's that's kind of hairy uh, i don't want to fall at that speed that doesn't sound like a good time no <laughs> it, it, it isn't i'll tell you about it later <laughs> oh. yeah you've been there uh so what was the very first race you did so first race was a double header of sorts down in heartland park Topeka, kansas oh uh, the, right the one I, the one i bailed out on because it looked like a swamp <laughs> Yes, that was it. You were smart to not show up to that one. Uh, and I was an idiot to not check the forecast. I'm an eternal optimist. This is my problem. I mean, no one, no pessimist would sign up for this project. Uh, so I have to be an op optimist of sorts. But uh, going into this, I was like, oh, yeah, I won't check the weather. We'll go down there. We'll have a great time. It'll be fairly warm because it's Kansas in May. Yep. That's kind of right at the season shift. It'll be perfect. Nope. And it was cold and it was wet and it was the greasiest mud I think I've ever experienced. So we did uh, cross country, which is kind of big, uh, hour plus one lap, usually like a four or five mile loop in the woods. Uh, most people think of it as an enduro. Yeah. And then also motocross, uh, which for vintage stuff is not the motocross tracks that you're going to see no, no. Uh, <laughs> on TV these days, big high fly and crazy stuff. Yeah. We did a grass track with a single tabletop. Like if you left the ground, you were hauling the mail. Uh, so that was that was kind of nice. And, and it wasn't grass very long. <laughs> no, it, it got chewed up pretty quick. We had a great time out there. But uh, we showed up 
really darn late. We drove we drove it in one day from Traverse City, Michigan to oh, uh, Topeka, wow. Kansas, which comes in uh, 13 hours if you don't dilly-dally on your fuel stops. And we probably pushed closer to 14. Uh, we stopped for lunch and had to charge the AC in the truck and some other goofy problems. And showed up at like 11 o'clock, threw up our one-person $14 Walmart tents in the gravel parking lot because there was so much rain <laughs> that the camping field was flooded. Oh, God. And as soon as we climbed in our tents for the night, it was just the most Kansas storm I've ever <laughs> felt. And having not been in Kansas for, you know, seven, eight years at this point, mm-hmm. uh, it, it for the moment I was like, oh, I'm home. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm in a $14 half in a tent with no rain fly. Like, I'm not in for a good night of sleep. Uh, so we pretended to sleep. Uh, my friend Kyle Bowen uh, went down and was borrowing a bike to race with me. And we pretended to sleep until about 4, 4.30 a.m. And I finally yelled at him after one big crack of thunder. And I went, hey, Bowen, are you awake? He's like, you think I'm asleep? <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, you want to go get breakfast? Let's just go get breakfast. And I think there was a little diner right around the corner from Heartland Park. And I, I forget the name of it. They should get advertising. They treated us so kindly. Because uh, there's no way we smelled good. We definitely <laughs> looked like drowned rats. And only did I notice on the way out that we were there like an hour and a half before they opened. Oh, oh no. Wow. Huh. Oh, the door wow. was unlocked. Yeah, we, you, we just walked up and we were like, the lights are on. There's somebody in the kitchen. We see a waitress like bustling around. So we just walked in and sat down. Yeah, you she got, brought us hot coffee. She served us food. And on the way out, I was like, they weren't even open. Yeah, yeah you got to look them up and make sure they get some free press. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they were wonderful. Both of those places are wonderful. Oh, wow. All righty. So what was the second race after that, after after the Mud Fest? Yeah, so we did the Mud Fest and then turned around and went road racing uh, at Gingerman in Michigan, uh, South Haven, Michigan. Fairly big road course. So that required a complete changeover for the bike if you want to think of it as it went from a dirt trim all the suspension came off wheels and brakes changed everything back on it plus all the safety wire um, and everything you need to pass tech for road racing which is a lot more stringent than anything off-road because if you oil down an off-road track no one really cares yeah, uh, but if you oil down a road course everybody's in for a bad time (laughs) yeah no one's having a good day including you uh, so went and did that, had a great time, uh, was taking the arm of school and that was probably the worst ROI for time spent wrenching on bike to time riding bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. got about 40 minutes of ride time and it blew the counter shaft seal, uh, on the front of the bike. So, and this is how you know seal, if you blow oh, an oil seal on a road track, you're not making friends. Yeah. So there's, they require uh, pans underneath. So you have containment underneath the bike. So you cannot drip oil. So even if you have a leak it is contained and they inspect the bike as you come off the track, there's an arm of volunteer right before you enter the pits that makes you stop, walks the bike. And if they see anything, they'll alert you to it right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can address it before you try and go back out on track. And, uh, they've, Wave me off, no problems. The first round, second round, I come back in, and she's like, you got a little bit of oil in there. I want you to look into it, but everything's okay. Because we are playing with old motorcycles. A certain amount of oil is going to exist, mm-hmm. but it was slightly concerning. 
and uh, started looking at it, had the uh, chief in charge of the school, it caught his eye and he's like, yeah, you're not going back out until take some stuff apart and figure out what's actually wrong. And when I took it apart, it was, it's a simple seal. Uh, it's right behind that front sprocket on the left side of the engine. And it's, I don't know, I think they're $4 is all it is. And uh, it started leaking. It was a direct result of how much mud was at Heartland Park. Oh. Uh, yeah, mud packed in behind that countershaft and slowly pushed that seal in just ever so slightly. And it wore on the wrong part of the shaft. It tore the seal up and it was leaking oil. And I wasn't going back out on track that day. So wow. it turned into pulling the motor out and completely tearing it down and splitting the cases again on a motor that had seven hours of runtime. Yeah, you, you're probably getting good at this by now, aren't you? <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> it's a real problem. But, uh, I'm, I'm all too good at assembling XR250 motors at this point. I but, bet. Uh, that was, it was back-to-back weekends. So Gingerman was supposed to be go and take their school, get my license, and then run the weekend, and then run the ne- following weekend in Illinois at uh, Blackhawk Farms. And it turned into Sunday night. I got home Monday uh, most of the afternoon, because I still had to do my day job, uh, but I skipped out most of the afternoon and tore the motor down and fortunately had all the parts I needed to take it all the way down and back up and assemble it. So by Tuesday morning, probably like four or five in the morning, uh, had a motor back together in the bike test run. And Wednesday it was in the van. Thursday I was driving to Illinois. So wow. it, it turned into a pretty eventful week wow. of wrenching to go and hopefully not get kicked off the track again. You ran in at Gingerman and got your license, and then you went to Blackhawk and you road raced. Uh, so is that considered two races or just getting ready for the one? That was just the one. Okay. Uh, so I was, I was basing it more off of discipline compared to doing just six races. There's a lot of people that do six events so you know what was the what was the good. third race after you rode race at blackhawk do you have to completely change the bike again and set it up for something else yeah so that was the Ugh. the big catch in this project and the one thing that caught me off guard uh and i guess i didn't expect anytime you're going into something like this i mean we've all attempted audacious things in one way shape or form uh, and at some level but uh for me, I didn't expect to spend as much time working on the bike as I did. Yeah. And so it was so much more time prepping the bike for each event and thinking about what it needed to be and what I needed to be ready for that I really didn't spend a whole lot of time riding. Um, I thought I'd spend time out on the trails and getting used to the bike and the different setups and trying things out. And The reality of it was just more often than not, than not the week before the wheels went on it. I bled the brakes and we're on our way. Uh, it was sheer luck that carried me through the skill portion of any of these events. The, the bike was in good shape, but uh, it, it took a bit of luck to pull everything else off. So what's your third event? So third event was dirt track. I uh, went to Ashtabula, Ohio and had a great time. I felt really bad for the track organizers. They assembled a wonderful surface. Uh, they had, machines out there all day on a really well-prepped clay track. And I think there was like six or seven of us there to run. (laughs) So we had the track to ourselves and we were having a blast 
but we were all on mismatch machines because when you only bring seven people and there's nine classes, oh, God. Uh, I was the only one <laughs> in the lightweight class. And so I was racing with big Harley V twins and uh, modern framers and all kinds of goofy stuff. And it was, it was really fun. Uh, dirt track is, if you want to get good at everything else, you need to ride dirt track. Really? Uh, getting used to the bike being loose and how much your body positioning affects what the motorcycle does and where your traction is, what you can do. Uh, so much of it translates from dirt track over to everything else, whether people realize it or not. Uh, if you look at a lot of the great road racers uh, over decades, uh, uh, the greatest road racers all have some type of dirt track background or dirt track training uh, in their history. Interesting. Watching that and seeing how the bike operates and being crossed up all the time and the back end coming around and kind of supporting everything with your leg. It looks like you'd have to be in really, really good shape to do that. Uh, it certainly helps. Uh, <laughs> I was not in really, really good shape. Uh, I'll admit I'm not, you know, lethargic or anything, but I'm not as fit as I once was. And I was definitely sore after flat tracking. I made it through most of the road racing without much issue. Um, and even the off-road racing, uh, the cross-country and motocross, I did those back-to-back in, in Topeka. And that was no big deal, really, physically. But dirt track was one night, and I got in the van the next morning. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sore. I'm shaking up. Uh, it's, a, it's a physical thing. And the 250 is fairly light, uh, especially by the bikes that usually show up to dirt track are kind of big, uh, a lot more powerful bikes that you're wrestling with a lot more. Yeah, XR750s. Uh, yeah, XR750 and uh, Harleys and, and stuff like that. So those guys, uh, I kind of had to suck it up a little bit because the guy camping next to me was running, what, he had three vintage Harleys. And so he was running brakeless, so no brakes. Yeah. And then he was running... Uh, the TT, which you can have front and rear brakes, and then he was also running flat track, which is rear brake only. Yeah. So he had three bikes set up for all three, ran all three uh, for the entire night. Meanwhile, I was just running the one fairly modern bike, and he was brewing coffee when I like rolled out of the van in the morning. Ah, yeah, it's not. What is it? Age, age, and experience. Over uh, youth and stupidity or something uh, old, like that. Yeah. Old age and treachery. <laughs> yeah. He had it. And uh, I envied him. He had it figured out. I don't, or he took like a mountain of ibuprofen before he went to sleep. One or the other. I don't know. A bottle of vitamin I. I, I, do, I do that and I don't flat track race. So <laughs> could, could. could be either. Uh, are you wearing a steel shoe when you're doing this? Uh it's a split. I wasn't fast enough. I didn't have the technique to justify a steel shoe. Uh, steel shoe is actually kind of a, a double-edged sword because it's a lot like your knee when you're road racing. So when you have a knee puck on your knee and you're all the way leaned over, you're using your knee a little bit as a feeler yeah. for where your actual lean angle is and where the track's at and kind of everything that's going on. And a steel shoe is no different. You're not actually supporting yourself with that. And the first time that you do, that steel shoe shoots right out from underneath you because you don't have any traction, you don't have any grip. If you try and stomp your foot down to save the bike and pick it back up, yeah, that's not how there's it nothing works. there. <laughs> yeah, that's not how a steel shoe works. So it's just a feeler. So you watch those guys, they have their leg out, 
and it's just hanging there. Yeah. It's just a feeler. So you look at how far that bike's leaned over and how up on top of it they are, and you realize that that bike's holding itself up. It and is. suddenly that, that really changes the game for how you think about how they're riding and what they're doing physically and how fast they're going. Well, and, uh, when you look at their steering angles and everything. And what a lot of people probably don't realize is, A, how fast those guys are really going. And, they're hustling. And, B, there's a little gyroscopic effect from the wheels that, that keep the bike in that attitude. Uh, it's not it's just going to fall over. So it's true. Uh, and if you ever watch, uh, you kind of you were talking about how they're sliding those bikes a lot. And if you watch, the fast guys – aren't sliding coming out of corners. No. Because if, if you've got that tail end out behind you and you're kind of drifting of sorts and it's stepped out as you're coming out of a corner, it'll come around. you're just going slow. Yeah. Well, you're just going slow. If that rear tire is spinning, you don't have traction. You're not putting any power down. So what they're doing is when they're coming into a corner, they're on the brakes and they're downshifting and that rear wheel's slowing down or trying to run around them. And so they're using that stepping out to get on kind of the side of the tire a little bit, to slow them down in a, in a weird way. And then you get the bike straightened out in the corner, you get your turning done, and then you're powering out of it, but you're not sliding on the power. Yeah, you're I, modulating that real carefully I've to try never, and get out of there, and it's fascinating. Never done it, watched a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't it's, know. A, it's an art form. I got respect for them. After trying it and realizing I suck at it, <laughs> I, I'd love to learn more. But I I want to go watch you know the Peoria TT or some of the big flat track events here in the Midwest. Yeah, I don't where the fast guys show up. I I don't know if I ever had that kind of sack. That takes <laughs> that takes a lot. It takes an awful lot. Yeah. Okay, so uh, fourth race. Fourth race was uh, let's see where we did dirt track. That must have been dirt. trials. How am I out of how am I out of whack here? Yeah, yeah. Fourth race was trials down at Barber. Okay, but, uh, so Barber Vintage Festival. In but Birmingham, that's not Alabama. a tri- that's not a trials bike. It is not a trials bike. <laughs> it's not at all. It's also not a dirt track bike, and it's not a road race bike either. And and that traces down to really the core of this project. And what I want people to take away from it is you can have the nicest bikes and go out and do all of this stuff, and that's all fine and dandy. I I don't knock it. However you really got to go play with the toys you got at some point. Did, because if you got an XR250, it, well, I want to get a faster 450 to go race. Where, ah, screw it. Go race. Go do whatever it is you want to do with the things that you have. Yeah. And you can go out and have a lot of fun just with whatever you've got. Don't, don't limit it and, and wish for the next great thing or whatever it is. Nah. What did you do? Go do it. What did you do practice-wise to prep for trials? Because trials is are difficult and could you explain it a little bit for people who don't know yeah so trials is kind of a golf of motorcycling if you want to think of it that way so it's low speed low score is the best and all it is is a a technical layout of some type so typically it's a short run think in terms of 10 to 15 seconds maximum Uh, you enter a gate and they'll have you do either a calculated number of turns or a difficulty of a route And for each time you put your foot down or stop or lean on an object, uh, they'll give you one point with a maximum score of five for any given section. And you go through, and so you try and navigate everything as carefully as possible to keep the bike upright and not put your foot down and not lean on anything. 
Uh, and it ends up being really fun and really technical. Uh, it's usually you watch it these days and they're big on hopping on uh, these really lightweight, low seat bikes uh, that don't even really look like motorcycles. And the geometry of them is totally different uh, from how the forks are angled to the frame and the frame and all of that stuff is, is radically different. But vintage bikes are, are much more approachable. Okay. Arma does no stop trials. So you don't do any of the hopping and bouncing over stuff. You have to keep rolling. What kind of uh, obstacles did you have? So you'll, a creek crossing, you know, kind of a sharp rise, uh, a weaving around trees, roots, slick rocks, uh, various surface textures, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, and the interesting part of it that I didn't even realize until I showed up at Barbara, I should have done better research, was it's three hours long. Oh, it's the oh, longest wow. event I did. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of this. So it's the lowest speed and it's the least intensive, if you want to think of it that way, because it is spread out over three hours. But they'd have eight trials, so eight little sections spread out in the woods. You would go do those, come back to scoring, turn in your score. They'd give you another one. You do another loop, turn in your score. You do one final loop, and then you're done. And you have to get it done in under the three hours. So you are monitoring a clock over that time. You're learning as you go. So that last one should be the easiest. But the course has also changed dramatically because now hundreds of people have gone through oh. the route. So the first line you did I wasn't even thinking about that worked that. so well may not exist anymore because people have thrown water on the rock that you climbed and you can't climb that anymore. Uh, and so I ended up incredibly sore after trials <laughs> as well, because it was a lot of moving your body around in a way that you can't move the bike. And I'm fighting the XR250 not being a trials bike and not having the steering angle or the clutch feel uh, or the power delivery that a normal trials bike has. They're typically a little bit lower power, a lot springier suspension. So you can move the thing around and a lot, um, of a lot more agile. weight. Yeah. Radically different. Uh, but what it amounted to was three hours of hanging out in the woods with a hundred new friends because in between each of those little trials things, you're sitting in a line of, you know, because you do yours and then the person behind you goes. And so it kind of ends up being a little bit of a conga line. Well, you're just hanging out while everyone else does their thing in this group. And you're talking about, well, what were you doing or how many years you've been coming to Barber? And uh, the guy that I was following in line was the Terry Cunningham, an oh. AMA Hall of Fame member. And then there's me on my XR250. <laughs> And so it was, it was comical of how level the playing field suddenly becomes, and we can all go out in the woods and have a great time. So nice. we've got the enduro and motocross and the road racing and the flat track and the trials. What was number five? So that is uh, five right there. Okay. So okay. with the enduro, the, motocross, the, the two at heart, road racing, okay. uh, dirt track, and then trials which one and was the we've got ice which one was the ice well it, yeah but we haven't had the winter to have ice yet we uh, haven't had the winter yet which of the five do you think was toughest Ooh, i i think trials was 
really? uh, just because I didn't, I didn't, ex- I thought it would be easier. And that's, that's why it's tough. I thought it would be a little easier than it actually was. And so I didn't mentally or physically prepare nearly as much as I should have. Uh, I think the others were difficult. Uh, Heartland Park and running that enduro, that was a really tough hour. But a lot of that came down to the course, and that was the first event on the bike. So we were sorting out some stuff on the bike, and it ended up being a lot more stressful because it blew an oil seal right as I was pulling up to the starting line. And so suddenly it was a five-minute thrash to try and get the thing to hold its own oil uh, which we failed at doing. <laughs> it took a little longer than five minutes. We had to bump to a different race, but uh, that was just the the course was hard on that specific day. That event itself is relatively approachable and fun, but trials, I I was not prepared for how difficult that was going to be, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a different type of challenge that I hadn't approached before. I'm guessing by now that XR250 is in a lot better shape than it was when you started. Well, it's a, it's a split. So I spent all last winter, as soon as I, I got the project okay, I tore it all the way down to a bare frame and built everything back up. And I restored what needed to be restored, and I reused what I could reuse. So it still looks quite scruffy, but it's only got, I think, 15 or 16 hours Okay. Uh, on a fresh motor. Race Tech went through and built me a killer set of suspension. Uh, for both off-road events and then a separate set of suspension for the supermoto because those are so radically different that one setup was not going to work for both of those. And then uh, Toxic Moto Racing out in Utah helped me out. They had the only uh, front brake setup for the supermoto on this bike in the country, I'm pretty sure. Uh, (laughs) Because I ended up doing some uh, parts hunting when I was looking for that, because normally the XR runs a uh, 220 millimeter front disc and the supermoto runs a 320 millimeter oh. disc. So it's a 14 inch rotor, uh, which is positively huge when you put it on a dirt bike. Yeah. Uh, and finding one for this old of a bike is no one actually does supermoto with these. And rightfully so, they <laughs> really shouldn't. There's so many better bikes for that. <laughs> Uh, so finding one, I'm, I'm measuring bolt circle diameters and the hubs and, you know, all these things. And I found some one-off European bike and the part number for it. And then I just Google the part number and it pulls up to this website. And I'm just like, how is this real? <laughs> just the next day they put it in the mail and we went cool. racing, I guess, is where that, where all that ended up. Yep. All right. You know what our normal last question is for every interview, but we've modified it for you, Kyle. <laughs> What's the dumbest thing you did on a motorcycle last year? That's really tough. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw you a curveball on this because I think this was probably the dumbest thing I did. Uh, <laughs> here at Haggerty, I, I, where I write for, we're just getting into motorcycle reviews. And it's really hard to review a motorcycle here in Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah. We have a very short riding season, and manufacturers aren't real apt to ship us brand-new motorcycles to play around with them for a couple of days. All the press fleets live in Los Angeles, California. So a couple times a year, I hop on a plane, we coordinate three bikes, we ride around in the California canyons, and then fly home, write the reviews at home. This sounds like a great time, except... I've never ridden in the California canyons and I I don't know if the three of you have driven out there, 
Uh, it's a totally different ball game. It's a racetrack, but not a racetrack, and also terrifying. And I took the Triumph Speed Twin, their brand new bike. Love that machine. Uh, the <laughs> only thing stopping me from buying that is my paycheck or lack thereof. And uh, they equip that bike with some really sticky tires. But sticky tires do not help when there is no pavement. Uh, uh, <laughs> and no. we were having a grand old time in the canyons until I was suddenly in the canyons. Oh, no. And didn't wreck the bike, but there's one goofy little turn on, I think it's Highway 58, headed up towards Ojai and San Luis Obispo. And it's just a goofy left corner that it's rising up to it, and then it levels off and then turns. And if you carry just if you carry it like it's a flat corner, you run out of brakes real fast because you come up over that rise, it unweights everything, all the ABS trips, and you drive straight. And there's a runoff there because apparently a lot of people do this, <laughs> and I was no different. And so the, the mm. dumbest or dangerous thing that I did on a motorcycle was ride that speed twin over my head in the California Canyon. That almost sounds like the approach to the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. <laughs> well, that's on my short list. That's uh, 2023. Uh, find me at Laguna Seca running with Arma uh, on the road race. That sounds really cool. Uh, by the way, if you want to come to Kansas and review old Harleys, I will accommodate you. I got to ride that move wide. I'm coming through May. You're going to come, weather permitting, because I'm going to leave you the out if it's raining again. We're going to be there at Heartland Park, uh, Arma oh, okay. Moto Fest. I'll come this time. I'll come this time. Yeah. Towards the end of May, I should know the date if I'm going to promote things. I, I Arma just, Moto Fest at Heartland Park, <laughs> wonderful event. I just didn't want to be in the middle of that quagmire when you were out there last night. It rained so stinking hard. I was looking yeah, out my window else. going, I'm really glad I'm not out there. Uh, and so, you forced Ped to come. Pet came of his, no, no, no. He came of his own accord. I was trying to talk him out of it, and he went. Uh, he went and had a great time. I forget he doesn't drink, so I was like, "No, he, he did." He shot me a price to come shoot photos, and I was like, "Yeah, come hang out with us. It'll be great." And I was like, "I'll pay him in beer because he'll hang out with us. It'll be great." He drinks that. He Pepsi. shows up, and I'm like, "Cooler's full." And he's like, "I don't drink." Oh, I forgot that. Can I give you some cash? Because I feel like I owe you something. Diet Pepsi is all he drinks, man. If you got Diet a case Pepsi. of that, he's your friend. Uh, Kyle. But he's I, the man. He made me look like a superhero. I. Maybe you are. He, he always does. He's just so damn good at that. Uh, I, I man, have yeah. never seen him shoot something that didn't turn out beautifully. Kyle, I can't thank you enough for being with us. We've been speaking with Kyle Smith about the Six Ways to Sunday uh, Motorcycle Challenge. You can find all the social media links for Kyle on readthedriven.com. Thanks for being with us. And the offer stands. Anytime you want to come ride old Harleys, I got you covered. (laughs) We're going to make that happen. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. And that's that's true. True. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. true. Absolutely. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mark Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Yeah.